Hello, and welcome to the Tao of Our Understanding Recovery Podcast. In this podcast, we discuss mystical works of literature and how they relate to recovery. We hope you enjoy today's podcast episode. Hello, this is Buddy C. Welcome to the Tao of Our Understanding Recovery Podcast. Today with Derek M. Derek's been a regular on our podcast. How many... You've been to a number of episodes, haven't you, Derek? Over the I've years? been to uh, two or three, I think. A few. I think I've always listened. That, I think. Over, oh, really? The course of over a couple of years, maybe I've yeah. been a few. Yeah. yeah, I've definitely listened and talked to you a lot about it. Yeah, yeah. Derek's a sponsee that we've been together since what the beginning of the pandemic, I think. Exactly. Yeah. We're doing. A- our weekly Dow meeting now, discussing how the Dow relates to recovery every Saturday morning on 9 a.m. Eastern. You can find that link at the Facebook group, which is a Dow by Understanding Recovery podcast, or you can go to buddyc.org and email us from there, and I can get you the link, either one. Lots of good resources at buddyc.org. Check those things out. Derek, we'd just like to hear your story today first, if you would, and how studying the Tao has enhanced your spiritual path. When you heard the Tao, what did, how did that resonate with you and why do you like studying the Tao Te Ching and how does it speak to you spiritually would be some good things to discuss those type things. But first, before we get into all of that, tell us a little bit of your story. I'll just give a little bit of that. I grew up in an active alcoholic environment where alcoholism wasn't even a discussion. It was just what we did as a profession. (laughs) It's how we spent our time. And we've talked a lot about this. It was a lot of my dad's a musician and I grew up around party scene of Daytona Beach, Bike Week, all that sort of stuff. And so, you know, it was just always around and drinking was very much, you know, how I early on, like as early as 15 or 16, learned to deal with my emotions and my uncomfortableness in the world, my unease in the world. And it worked pretty well and uh, too well until it didn't work. Right. And that's the common story. And amazingly, I stopped drinking in my 20s. I had a rock bottom on my own. And I remember I was living in this apartment in the red light district. And I guess that's the term for it. It was like the shadier part of Daytona. And I had I was drinking a lot. I had wrecked a motorcycle. And around that same time, I got this crazy idea. Hey, I'm going to go to college. and and um going to make something in my life. And that became my new obsession. And I literally just replaced alcoholism with that, is what I'll say. And I became obsessive and compulsive, so much so that here I am years later, and, and I'm, a, I'm in academia, I'll say. And, but it really became an obsession. And, and I, so I stopped drinking my 20s just long enough to get to my 30s to accident, not accidentally, decided to have a sip of wine at a dinner once and then it, that kicked off drinking again for me for another decade and it wasn't until I was in my 40s and my second child was on the way that, that I really began to start trying to stop drinking actively again only this time I couldn't do it that's a common story like there's no way I could do it I would stop for a day or two but then I'd stop for a week. And I remember telling a friend at the time, like, I had stopped for a couple of days and I was like, hey, this is my superpower. Cause when I'd stopped, man, I felt really good after three or four days. I thought, okay, I can conquer the world. And, and I remember one time telling my wife the same thing and she made the mistake of telling my in-laws when we were on vacation with them. And I was like, oh, now I can't not stay, stop drinking. <laughs> I just couldn't do it. Long story short. And I was getting sick. All the time because my immune system was messed up because of just being basically in that cycle of drinking, hangover, hangover, get over hangover, drinking again. 
just on a sort of daily basis. And I had gotten sick one time and I had started to notice a cycle. If I could, I could, I would not drink when I would get sick because you're, you're not able to even keep food down for a few days. So that's kind of like problem solved. And I would be pretty proud of myself for that. Just kind of a, a sick. So I had stopped. I was like in one of those cycles. Where I'm like, okay, I'm not going to be doing anything but just drinking water for a couple of days. And I'm like, how can I stay stopped? And I, I think I prayed, and I, I'm not, I didn't grow up in a religious family. I grew up in a secular family, I would say. And, but I think I might have prayed the night too, but also I found this video by Craig Ferguson. I was watching, looking for like people who had stopped drinking. I remember the first guy I found was Tim McGraw. I was like, okay, he seems like he's got his crap together. Nothing wrong with that, but he, I remember in the interview, and maybe he was just cloaking that he was an AA or something, but he said something to the effect that I just work out instead. And I was like, that's not going to work for me. So I kept looking and I found this guy, late night talk show host talking about his own story and quitting drinking. And he didn't want to say where, where he, how he stopped doing it, but he said it's at the front of the phone book. And I can deduce that pretty easily. I'm like, okay. So he went to AA. Like, yeah, that's a bit extreme <laughs> in my opinion. But I'm going to try it because apparently I can't do anything else to get this thing under control. So I did. Oh, go ahead. So you realized you had a problem. You went online and looked for popular people who have stopped drinking to see what or that you'd heard they'd stopped. And you found one guy that said he stopped drinking. Tim McGraw stopped drinking, working out. And you said that wasn't enough for you. Forget that. That's just not going to work. Yeah. And then who was the comedian that you saw? Because he's out. It's not. Yeah. No, he wrote a book about it. He's great. Craig Ferguson. He's from Scotland. Wrote a book about American. It was called American on Purpose. I later found this. He was just one of my favorite talk show hosts. And I happened to find a video of him. And he was talking about Britney Spears. It wasn't like he segued into it. Honestly, it changed my life because I was like, I always thought it was like, yeah, they always say the last House in the block, so to speak. Yeah. Didn't really consider it an option for me. Why is it that we look at AA as the last option? Because mm-hmm. you're coming from a from from academia. You've gotten you've got you've made it all the way through your doctorate, and so mm-hmm. you're working in academia. And it's like AA is Skid Row, right? What am I going to find? <laughs> not my people yeah which is ironic because it really is my people first of all yeah but second of all i remember that around the time i stopped drinking you just reminded me of this thing buddy when i was in my early 20s i had stopped that first time for a decade on my own fruition somehow i did have a spiritual connection somehow i even though i wasn't raised in a religious home I had one relative, my grandma, who would occasionally throw some Methodism my way. And apparently that was enough for me to go, okay, I think I'll try this prayer out. And they would usually be the foxhole prayers kind of thing. And around that time, when I stopped drinking in my 20s and decided that career and academic pursuit is my new obsession, leading up to that, I remember I was in a convenience store, 7-Eleven. They have them in Florida. This long-haired sort of hippie guy looked at me and smiled when I was getting a drink out of the cooler and he goes are you a friend of Bill's and I don't know why he asked me that or no he said he knew me hey you're a friend of Bill's aren't you and I was like what is this guy talking to me for I don't even know who Bill is like and he just smiled and he left and I was like I don't know what that was it was weird but I think about it years later because it was like I had a couple of friends who had been in AA, but again, it just seemed so extreme to me. But I didn't even know what it entailed, frankly, but I know they met a lot and they drank a lot of coffee and stuff. I do like coffee. It just seems, like you said, I don't know if I'd say skid row, but it just didn't seem like an option for me. I guess I'm not a joiner. Yeah. (laughs) uh, And it seems to be a lot of times that AA do we have to do all of this to stop drinking? Can it, can't there be an easier way to do this than can't I just take a pill or 
something that won't interrupt my life. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. But uh, at least I had this going for me. They call it the gift of desperation. By the time I decided to go to AA, I needed my life to be interrupted. Things weren't on a high point. But yeah, it just didn't strike me to do it at first. And so when I did finally go, it was on my lunch break at work. I'm like, I'll just do the minimal amount of things. So my first thing ever was a noontime meeting, which I would use to go play soccer or do something to get over a hangover during that time. But it's that felt like the minimal commitment. Pop in, pop out. And I sat down and started listening. And like everyone who shared in that meeting, it was a first time meeting, which kind of maybe lucky coincidence. I'm not sure. But everyone who shared was just talking about life. And literally, I could relate to everything I heard. And I was like, oh, they have that problem. Wait, and they stopped drinking? Oh, they feel like that about the world. And they stopped drinking? And I remember this lady came up to me at the end and said, because I did say, hey, this is my first meeting. Um, but I don't think I said it till the end. And she gave me the book, Living Sober. And she said, oh, okay. yeah, it was this little old lady. She goes, you can eat candy. Here you go. And I was like, what? I can eat candy? And I go, I don't eat any sweet, actually. And I didn't at the time. Because I drank so much wine or whatever I was drinking. And there's a lot of sugar and alcohol. I didn't need extra sugar at that point. But it, she, that was one of the things in living sober, eating a snack or a treat to get you through if you're feeling a little antsy. And, and uh, But for me, it just became something like a way to reward myself at the end of the day. And it, it has its own challenges. But I always say this. I can eat a piece of cake and not have to eat the whole cake. I never felt that way about a good bottle of wine or a shot of something. Uh, towards the end, I was more of a wine drinker than anything. I had a resentment against the guy in the fresh market who stocked the wine shelves mm. because I swear to God, he knew me as I, he knew what I drank and he would watch me, my patterns. And I would switch from like a Malbec to a Con or Malbec to a Merlot or something like that at certain brands. And I hated that guy so much. Like I, I really did have a <laughs> deep hate for that guy, which I felt bad about that after I stopped drinking. I was like, man, that guy was just making stocking the shelves. But, yeah, he just But I hated him. Yeah, he's like a drug dealer, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> I, mean, I never resented the bartender uh, that I bought liquor from. Huh. <laughs> That's interesting. All right, so you stayed sober without AA. Yeah. Then you came, then you found yourself at a place that you couldn't stop. Now you started going a place that you found you place a place that you couldn't stop. So now you found yourself in meetings again, right? Or checking meetings out. Yeah. I was just checking them out. Yeah. Yeah. So what happened from there? I decided, okay, I can go to these noontime dealios, the noontime meetings because they're pretty noncommittal. And then I, and it worked for a week because I don't know what it was about being in a room with people talking about the same problems I have and how they don't drink and they found other ways to not to deal with it. And I don't know what it is, but it was working for me. So I just kept coming back. And but I remember saying to myself, I'm not going to get a sponsor. That's that's a, I don't need some person telling me what to do. And, yeah, I'm going to do the minimal amount always. That's my goal. Do the minimal amount with the maximum result. <laughs> so I started even started going to a nighttime meeting. And I remember they. it seemed like all of a sudden when I had decided I'm not going to get a sponsor, every meeting became about sponsorship. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, what the heck, man? <laughs> so I, I finally asked a guy. He was talking about his kids or something like that. And I'm like, oh, there's another guy with the kids. I have kids so maybe and he seems to be I I like what he was saying I went up to him after me I'm like trying to tell him a little bit about myself and he's like I'm not asking to be my sponsor though <laughs> just talking to his guy and he's like sounds like you're asking me to be your sponsor and I was like oh yes that's what I'm doing he's like okay I can do it I'm like okay <laughs> you know, it's interesting. and Derek it's interesting how you and that's how guidance happens that's how guidance seems to happen we get disturbed about something. We think, I think I need a sponsor. And all of a sudden, 
all this stuff starts creeping up about sponsorship. You just see it everywhere. Every meeting you go to, every quote you hear, everything is about sponsorship, sponsorship. Until until you surrender and say, okay, I'll have a sponsor. And then someone presents themselves. Much more than the other way I always thought of guidance as, here, buddy, go do this. Oh, okay. And then you just go and it's a different approach to guidance, really, to where you just do what's in front of you to do, right? Yeah. Yeah, you're just doing the next right thing. Yeah, you see what I'm saying? Yeah. Yeah. yeah, it does present itself that way, like, for sure. And that has been the case many times for me since coming into sobriety and even just life in general. And yeah, so that I got a sponsor. You could call him every day. Seemed extreme. Somebody else told me to go to 90 minutes, 90 meetings a day, 90 meetings in a row. That seemed extreme. And I, I did. I tried all these things, but I kept trying them because it kept working. And I remember I, so about the Dow, I had this friend in a tea shop I would go to and he was in AA too. I think I, I had seen him at a meeting or something and we would exchange little things that were both new in sobriety and you know, experiences we were having with sobriety. And he asked me if I had read the Dow and I said, no, I no, never read that. I was just working on reading the big book at that point. And, uh, he told me something about from the Dow, which was the space and the base is what gives it the value. Think about that. And I was like, all right, I'll think about that. And I thought about it. I was like, oh yeah, that's pretty, pretty, uh, pretty deep. I get that. You wouldn't, that's not what you intuitively go to. You think of the ornamentation and the exterior part being the important part. So that was like my first, the thoughts of the Dow, like in sobriety. And maybe my first thoughts to Dow in my life, but uh, I just really wasn't ready to dive into that because I was just still trying to figure out how to. I thought I kept thinking I was going to go back out. To be honest, I think a lot of people have that fear. That first year or so, I would have dreams or nightmares, if you will, about I'd wake up, I thought I had drank, and uh, that's just stuff sort of went away. I was on a pink cloud, though. I'll say that I got the pink cloud effect for about three months. I couldn't, I had my superpower back. I couldn't. Yeah. <laughs> and then this is very important, I think. I went to lunch with some coworkers and I didn't normally go to lunch because I was usually too hungover or I did my own thing. I'm a bit of a loner, but I go to lunch with coworkers because now I have this new superpower. I don't drink. Been like a couple months and everything's fixed for me now, by the way. I know I don't have any issues. And I'm at lunch and I remember we were at this Japanese restaurant and I ate like half of the parchment paper by accident, which is like at the bottom of the plate they put sometimes. <laughs> and, uh, and I didn't realize it. And the waitress pointed it out. And then my friend started, my coworker started laughing and that pink cloud went, whoosh, disappeared like that. And I was embarrassed and I wasn't able to put my fingers on what I was feeling at the moment then, but I can think back of it now. And I was angry and I was resentful. I hated the waitress. I hated my coworker. It was all, I, and I, the pink cloud was done, like about two and a half months into sobriety. And I didn't even know that I was on a pink cloud. And but later I could think back and go, there, that's what happened there. And then I was suddenly like, okay, wait, life on life's terms and how I react to other people. And uh, that's what's really the deal. But it wasn't later until honestly, uh, well, I did end up buying a Dow book eventually, this Don Mitchell one, or Stephen Mitchell, Stephen Mitchell. But Which I just one? kept Stephen Mitchell, the little. Okay. Oh, the, um, his, uh, his 81 verses? Yes. Oh, okay, cool. But I just kept it on the side, never really thought about it. I think I read it with my son once. He thought it was a funny name, and I read some things to it from him, for him, but nothing really stuck with me there but i did keep going to AA and i stayed sober you know day after day a minute at a time day at a time month at a time and increasingly took the suggestions that were given there and there's a saying in AA. there's so many sayings that's the one thing i learned i was like 
I remember saying to my first sponsor, you guys got your own freaking language. But because <laughs> just so many little that I, I imagine to someone out of it, it sounds quite funny. But take what you want and leave the rest. I was able to do that along the way. and But there was a lot that I needed and I wanted that worked for me. But I do remember the part about the you failed to enlarge a spiritual life. That part in the, the big book where they talk about why this gentleman had gone out. I think it was it the milk, put a little milk in it guy. Yeah, that was it. Yeah, that was one of them. Yeah, the businessman. Yeah, yeah. That, there was a story. That's a story that uh, a friend of mine in my first home group really loved. Uh, put a little milk in it. Sorry, he called it. But uh, yeah, and they were they're talking about why he might have went out. And one of the things is he failed in a larger spiritual life. I didn't know what that meant, and I had I really didn't know what it meant for a while in a for me. And amazingly, stayed sober. I just would do what was suggested to me, but it wasn't working at a certain point. And maybe this is a common story, but it wasn't until I was years into sobriety that things really, went, the wheels started to fall off in terms of how I approached the world and how I reacted to the world. And I think that what happened was me being sober allowed me to actually be my real self. And anyways, like years in the AA, like six or seven years for me, and it wasn't working anymore. I was still going to meetings. Oh, and I remember I had a I had to move. I had taken a career change, a ge- geographic change, but not it wasn't a geography, as they say. It was because of a job I moved, and I had a, another sponsor, and that actually didn't work out. The second sponsor, and then my wife had never stopped drinking, and I was saying, so she lost her drinking buddy when I stopped drinking. By the way, that was always a source of contention between us. That's another ironic thing is I don't have that traditional story of like when I came to A, my wife was like, oh, thank God he's done drinking. She was just mad that I was out of the house because we had kids and stuff. But at least I wasn't at the bar. But by the end of my drinking, I had I was at home drinker. So anyways, the point. oh, yeah. So I was about ready to go out of A. I was thinking after about six or seven years, I think I'll drink again. And the pandemic happened. And I was pretty close to that. And we were on a vacation up in Asheville, which is where I had gotten sober. And the whole world shut down during that week. This was March when the pandemic basically just spread so quickly. The whole world shuts down literally halfway through the vacation. I'm like, oh, I'll just go online. I was listening to one of my favorite podcasts, which was that sober guy at the time. I had discovered that. And he mentioned this online. A meeting thing. So I'd go to that. And that's where I met you through that. And I started going to that. And that really came, couldn't have come at a better opportunity at a better time, I should say. And, uh, so that's, that kind of saved me from going out, I think, to a certain extent, because it was allowed, it allowed me to restart my AA program. And through that, I met you. And then you had the Dow podcast. Did I start listening to that? Yeah. So I don't know if I you want me to go into more detail than that. Yeah. What when you came into the meeting, the online meeting, the fourth dimensioners meeting, in your sobriety, where you were close to just saying, oh, screw all this, right? You were close to Yes. Absolutely. I mean, from our conversation. Why not? What kept you going? Yeah. Why not? Just stop, AA, stop. What did you realize was not working for you? What changes did you have to step up with that made the difference now in your walk? Because you'd gotten, you've been going to AA for years, right? No, I had been going to AA. Yeah, but what was it about it that had to change when when you when that when the pandemic came along, what was it that made the difference for you? Honestly, for me, I, I don't want to get into detail, but I had a bad experience with my second sponsor, yeah. and and I just no longer felt safe going to the rooms or connected to going and sitting in the rooms anymore. 
where I live and, and my wife and I were fighting all the time. And there was a lot of those sort of things going on that I just was like, I didn't have the, I didn't have AA anymore for myself. And my wife would have been fine if I started drinking again. And I was like, you know what? At least that'll take care of that. But then, but I really didn't want to because if I play the tape through, I fortunately, I guess I drank long enough to know where that leads back to. And I'm reminded of that every time I attend an AA meeting, but I wasn't, I was prepared to stop going to AA at that point. I literally had to reach that point where I'm like, okay. And the pandemic happens and then you have this online AA thing and I'm like able to reconnect to the AA world, but I decided safer in the online community, to be honest. Let's talk about your second sponsor for a minute. I don't want to talk about this is a this may be an experience that can help people that come to AA. Maybe. I don't want to talk much about it, but all I want to say is not everyone in AA is healthy. Yeah, I know. <laughs> and and what happens is we're all sick, and some of us are sicker than others, and sometimes you may pick out a person for a sponsor that you think is a good fit for you and they're not. And if there's things that happen in, in forming that relationship that seem to be unhealthy in your eyes, then always look, you can look for another sponsor. You can look for another meeting. There's meetings everywhere. That's what I suggested to you was find a meeting that he doesn't go to find a different meeting. If you can, don't just throw the baby out with the bathwater, in other words. Don't throw AA out because you found some members of AA that weren't that weren't up to the standards that you were looking for. Imagine that. But yeah. I had experiences with a sponsor that I wasn't happy with, and I had to move to another sponsor. It happens all the time. Those kind of things happen. Because you're getting to know people really on a level that you don't. My sponsor knows me better than anyone else in the world. There's no one in the world that knows as much of darkness about me than any other person in the world. Uh, And that can be frightening at times. And I think we just have to approach it from a place of powerlessness there that I'm powerless. It's obvious I need a sponsor. The people I see in here that are healthy that live good lives all have sponsors. It's not like it's an optional thing that I can do this without a sponsor. It's not been optional for me, nor anyone I've ever heard. I've never heard anyone that I've ever interviewed or heard their story live that they were an AA success without a sponsor. I've never heard that. I wish it were, maybe it's possible, but I've never heard that to be the case. Not especially not someone that once I got to know them, they had what I wanted. No way. It just doesn't seem to work that way. Yeah, yeah. I understand what you're saying. I think that combined with the lack of sort of external support that I had in my own life is like it was just a consideration for me. I I could just drink again. That was a but but apparently God didn't have that in the plans for me. Hate it caused a pandemic for that reason, you know. The pandemic was all to keep you from drinking. Yeah, it was sorry all about, about that, guys. <laughs> yeah, my bad. But, uh, <laughs> I'm sorry, guys. I got it. I got it. This, this. Yeah, yeah. You know, sometimes. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Things have consequences. Huh? Yeah. <laughs> Anyways, that's it. Could, but it, the online anything worked for me great, and I had already approached this idea. I teach online and that, but really what had really made me realize this could work for me is uh, when I was on a cruise once and it was for a week with my wife's coworkers. And it's just, it's one of those carnival cruises and everybody's just drinking weird colored drinks the whole time. And the whole thing is just a floating a smorgasbord of debauchery. <laughs> and uh, I'm like trying to stay sober and I heard there was like a meeting on the ship somewhere and I could never find it. And that's when I found Shane's podcast. And I was like, Oh, I could just supplement this a little bit. 
if I'm in a situation like I'm on a deserted island, there's no AA meetings. I could do this. But the online meetings for some mentors didn't feel like a supplement. It felt like, for me, I got everything out of it that I got from going in person. And maybe it's partly because I'm a shyer person or introverted. I always thought it was funny. It's like, for me, if I went to a meeting and I said, hey, to one person, or how you doing? I felt like I had a big social outing. It's funny. And for other people, it would have to be like they needed to go like to dinner afterwards. And I might do that. But I'm just saying, if I said hi to a couple of people, that was a big deal to me. So maybe I don't need much in that regard, but I definitely need something. It's amazing, too, Derek, that you were saying exactly what you needed, it sounds like. Yeah, it's true. Yeah. And that's how my whole life's been, right? Oh, God, I believe there is a God. If you're listening and you have your ear to the railroad, the train's coming. I don't know if that's a good analogy, but it's like there is a way always. There is the way, the doubt. I'm no, just kidding. Yeah. <laughs> but it, my whole life seems to have been that way, right? Where I look back, and I'm like, oh, that's what I needed at the time. But I will say this, and I think this is an important part of my story is years into sobriety and I'm still like I'm dealing with new levels. Like you talk about the onion of living with life on life's terms. How do I relate to my fellow man and my twisted relations with others and come to realize. And I had heard this in AA, but I always it's like you hear what you hear when you need to hear it. And you may hear it before then, but disregard it. But I thought I'd try therapy also and or counseling. And, and that's been hugely instrumental in, at this point in my sobriety and helping me to begin to examine how I process the world. But I could not have done that without first being sober and for a while, to be honest. I couldn't have done it a week into sobriety. I couldn't have done it a year into sobriety. It really needed to be where it was at. Like what you're saying, I got what I needed when I needed it. You, I think you know, that's how it works. Yeah. With Derek also, I if I'm sponsoring someone, I never discourage them from getting counseling. I always think counseling is a good idea. If it helps you, go to counseling. It's been suggested I go to counseling on some things lately. I have over the years, and I'm looking into some counseling now for me for things. AA is not a cure-all. But for me, surrender is a cure-all, but I don't let go easy. And a lot of times a counselor can go into talking about things. Your sponsor is supposed to be for your alcohol. Your relationship with alcohol really is the limit to what your sponsor is supposed to be about, not all these other mental issues that we may have. And a lot of times I've had over the years marital counseling, grief counseling, all these things that that a sponsor was not capable of helping with. And I applaud you for doing that. And I think I've encouraged you over the years to get some counseling on things that I had no experience about. If we're not careful in AA, I think it's like the finger pointing at the moon. We'll think that AA is the moon. It's not. It's a finger pointing at the moon. All these different practices we're talking, and they're all to get us toward the moon. They're not the moon. And it's difficult at times we get enamored in the practice and don't realize the practice is pointing us to something else. And that something else is the spirituality, I think, that we're seeking. Yeah. Yeah. And counseling has just been another part of the onion that for me is a part of that enlarging my spiritual life it's examining what i my assumptions about the world and like how i feel about things has always been a part of the sobriety process for me and and i will say that's one thing about the dow that strikes me is it's always almost always running counterintuitive to how i would approach a situation you know let's it's talk, let's talk about the dow Derek. what's some Dow verse, you got a verse or two that stands out? Yeah, I had written a couple down, but the one I just thought of 
when we were talking that I'll just, it, it might have been a Chonso thing that you had talked about once, which I know we've talked about this and this idea of a, you're on a boat and another boat has come loose and it's, but it doesn't have a passenger in it and it's floating towards your boat and it actually hits your boat. And, but there's nobody in it. And so you're just like, Oh, that was unfortunate. The wind blew this thing to my boat. Now, if you put someone in that boat and there's a guy in there with a crazy hat and he's got a beer in his hand or something, I don't know. I'm pissed at that guy. And it's like, what's the difference? And that kind of is an interesting exercise that you can let one go, then go and you can't let the other go when you need to assign blame to it. So I don't know if that's, I don't know if that's from the Dow. I thought you guys were talking about that once in the podcast. Yeah. And what are the preface with that is treat everyone as an empty boat, every situation as an empty boat. Okay. Yeah. That's very much a Taoist story. And I'm sure we've talked about it at some point over. Yeah. Cause we always want to fix blame, don't we? We want someone to yeah. when things are not perfect. And if I can't find someone else, I'll blame me. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And then another one I wrote down was verse 27. That's the one about the good man is a bad man's teacher, a bad man is a good man's teacher. Um, yeah, why don't you read the whole thing for? Okay, sure. This is from the Stephen Mitchell, though. Okay. A good traveler has no fixed plans and is not intent upon arriving. A good artist lets his intuition lead him wherever he wants. A good scientist has freed himself of the concepts, keeps his mind open. Thus, the master is available to all people and doesn't reject anyone. He is ready to use all situations and doesn't waste anything. This is called embodying the light. What is a good man but a bad man's teacher? What is a bad man but a good man's job? Okay. If you understand this, you will get lost. Oh, if you don't understand this, you will get lost. However intelligent you are, it is the great secret. Yeah, and I just made a note that I've had this thought for a while, and I think it was introduced to me by some friends in college as an like undergrad that I used to go to this book group that I got invited to go to just because I was actually trying to talk to this girl that I thought was attractive. And I wasn't really interested in the book group, to be honest. She was a uh, Persian and Iranian. And she invited me to this book group and I go and I remember there was another guy she had invited from the class too. And I was like, oh, what the heck's he doing here? But it was funny because this group, they were working through this book called The Path of Perfection by Esther Delahi, I believe is how you pronounce his name. And he was a Persian philosopher, musician, guy who had written this book. And the whole thing was around this idea that we are here to learn. Like our souls are, why are we here on earth? We're here to learn. And we're going to have all these experiences, some good, some bad. But their the point is, they're all here. These experiences are to teach us something, to teach our souls something. And I remember learning that in my early 20s, going to this group. And it really resonated with me. And this verse reminds me about that. The good man is bad man's good man is bad man's teacher, bad man is a good man's job. Yeah, that's how, that's just what I'm reminded about this thing. We're given what we need when we need it, right? Yeah. If we don't look at everything as an opportunity, we miss out. Yeah. And that's a lot of what I think that's talking about. If you abandon yourself to foolishness, you lose. Different. So I'm going to go down to where you were. This is a different translation. So to your teacher or fail to enjoy your student, you will become deluded no matter how smart you are. It's the secret of prime importance. That's McDonald. So when the student's ready, the teacher appears. And when the student's really ready, the student appears. So the student, when the student's hey, ready, then the student has taught someone to teach. Oh, I see. I thought you said when the student is ready, the student appears. I did. Oh, I got you. Okay, I see the dream. For the yeah. student to become a teacher. Yes. I got you. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so when the student's really ready, that's what happens is the teacher appears. Because I remember the first time I took someone through the steps. I had my first sponsee. Man, I got in there and studied hard because I was having to share it with someone now. So 
it took me, I learned, I went to a whole nother level of understanding when I started sharing and sponsoring. So I imagine you, you caught that when you had your first class that you taught in academia, I bet you had to study up. Yeah. That. Yeah. The best way to learn something is to try and teach it for sure. And that's, yeah, you definitely, yeah. And I, I've tried to sponsor a couple of people on and off too. And yeah, but I definitely relate to that with teaching. I never thought about it in regard to sponsoring someone, to be honest, but I probably should think about it the same way. But yeah, I think because I feel like because I know what I know about my own alcoholism and what it took for me to stop drinking. You couldn't have told me the day before I decided I'm going to try and stop or that the miracle happened and I was it. The obsession was moved. You couldn't have told me the day before to stop drinking. And I would have, you couldn't have convinced me with any method. And I know that not just conceptually, like I lived that. And so I know when I've tried to sponsor people like I can take them through the steps, but I can't keep them from drinking. And like that story in the book where they tell the guy to go out and try some controlled drinking. I'm like, yeah, some people might think that sounds harsh, but I'm like, no, I get that. Yeah, because you really got to know. Anyways, the other verse is the 11 that came to mind this week, which is back to that empty vase thing and I decided to go back to that verse in the Stephen Mitchell again when we join spokes together in a wheel but it is the center hole that makes the wagon move we shape clay into a pot but it is the emptiness inside that holds whatever we want we hammer wood for a house but it is the inner space that makes it livable we work with being but not non-being is what we use and I've just currently have been thinking of that in terms of the importance of, I guess to put it more practically, the importance of the pause in my life. That's something you guys taught me in AA, like straight away, like pause when agitated, which is so easy to say and so hard to practice. <laughs> yes. And more recently, I've been listening to Michael Singer. We've talked about this a little and. I just discovered this somehow and it's funny, like I had been listening to it and I hadn't told you and you brought it up and I was like, did you just bring up the guy I'm listening to? I don't think I said anything about it, (laughs) but uh, the untethered soul lecture series. And he, and I know we've talked about this before. There's some Buddhism ideas around this too. I don't know if it's a Taoism thing, but definitely in the Buddhism tradition, there's some ideas about this separation of the mind and the soul the mind and the heart and then the fact that we can observe those two things like i can think about my thoughts like a alcoholics are damn good at that like stinking thinking the magic magnifying mind you name it we can most of us can relate to going down a rabbit hole and i can think about how i feel about things like when i see this person i have resentment or who is doing the observation of those things is what Michael Senior's asking. There's somebody observing, and that somebody's you, that we might not be our thoughts, we might not be our feelings, and that the ability to recognize the empty space in between all of those things, that's just what I've been thinking about this week, is like this empty space idea and, and empty space having a value. I think it's huge. I think it's something for how I can approach the world. Yeah, I can see that. Yeah, because it really is our emptiness that gives us the value. We think it's our fullness, but it's not. It's our emptiness. And that's what I did not know before AA. I thought I had to work hard, do better, believe, all those different things. And being awake spiritually meant being stronger spiritually some way, being this spiritual giant. Would, was the, is what the goal is when in reality it's the opposite. It's to be surrendered in all these areas so that whatever needs to happen can happen for us. And we notice the happening instead of us thinking that it's all wrapped up in our abilities and efforts because that's what the Tao points to. 
it's the emptiness of the hub that makes you know the will useful. It's the emptiness in the house. If the house is full, it's not useful. Same with a cup. I can't use the cup if it's already full. I can only use the cup when it's empty. So all of this is teaching us how to be empty, how to be empty. And I think all the words just point to looking at it different ways. So how's your, over the years, what does your spiritual practice look like today, Derek? Oh, how long have you been sober? Nine years. Okay. What does your practice look like today? It looks like this, me talking to my sponsor. Yes. And it looks like opening my myself to teachings, like from the Tao, from anything that comes across my path that sort of has some ring of truth to it in terms of how and I, maybe I have something to learn from this moment. It looks like pausing when agitated. Yes. It looks like trying to meditate, which is not something that came easy to me. I know it's in the 12th or the 11th step. Yes. Without thought the prayer meditation. Anyways, that eluded me for years. I was like, yeah, that ain't going to happen. But I try to meditate today. That's it. And it works. And it's uh, not like an expert at it. I'm not sitting on a mountain with a leaf floating in front of me. <laughs> sometimes it looks like taking a walk. But sometimes I sit down and I close my eyes and I try to see that little blobby light. <laughs> yes. That we talked about, you know, and Sometimes it's in a yoga class, but I, but it's a part of my spiritual practice, meditation. It's taught me some of what we just talked about, literally that empty space that, because when I know you talk about this and I've read about this and heard about this, when we meditate, it's not that we stop thinking, it's that we observe our things and we let it go. And it's not that we stop feeling. And I thought, perhaps I'm not meditating at first, if I'm still thinking about the chainsaw here over there, my neighbors cut down a tree or siren. I didn't know until I, maybe your meditation app helped me with that. I I don't know when I started, but it was around, it was a couple years ago when you and I were talking about it, that I really, and I was in a yoga class and I was like, oh, I think I just meditated. And I had fake meditated for years. I don't know if that's a thing. Everyone's really meditating, but I didn't feel like it. For years, I would be like, oh, okay, yeah, let's close our eyes. Yeah, that's good. Okay, what's for lunch? Or what's the deal with that work project? <laughs> you know? Have you ever seen the Parks and Recreation where uh, Glo took Ron to a meditation day? No, I might miss that one. That's a good show, though. He was, yeah, he was. Uh, I'm going to tell it real quick because it's real funny. Look it up on YouTube, but uh, Ron okay. was—he uh, was forced—he was forcing Ron to go. Is it Ron Johnson? Whatever his name is on there, Ron Swanson. Yeah, Swanson. Yeah, yeah. Swanson. Yeah, and uh, he was taking Ron Swanson to a day of meditation, and because he was wanting to bond with him, so of course Ron Swanson was negative the whole thing. They went in, had the music, and had all the stuff going. And here's Rob Lowe sit down meditating. And Ron said, I did nothing. I just stood there. I didn't think about anything. I didn't do anything. I just, if thoughts came in my head, I just let them go. I didn't focus on anything the entire day. And <laughs> it was like he was, yeah. he was, really, he he was had, trying not to meditate. Trying not to, in effect, he was meditating. That's pretty <laughs> good. <laughs> I didn't do anything. That's uh, pretty funny. Yeah. You yeah. could literally write a manual on how to meditate. Yeah, he, he backed his way into meditating a lot of times like we do. How did your ideas of a higher power or the higher power change for you during your recovery? When you came in, what was your idea of God and how is that changing over time? How did recovery change that for you? That's not something we normally talk about in a meeting. So when I first came in, like I said, I just about it. It was where people from Skid Row went or whatever. I, did. I had no idea what I was getting into. And I remember 
what I was getting into was reconnecting with God in some way. I had made some connection in my teenage years just through foxhole prayers I had done. And I remember I was a couple months in and they were every meeting felt like a spiritual experience. And I remember saying in the meeting, like, hey, this is crazy. You got, I know we're not supposed to talk about this, but this is a spiritual thing you guys have going on here. And this lady laughed at me and another guy laughed and they go, yeah, that's it. That is what it is. And I was like, cause I thought, I didn't think the two went together. And maybe I'm like a lot of people. I think you got church over here, this over there. And then I had no, today, I guess I would say, Spirituality for me, like enlarging my spiritual life looks like how I live and how I practice life and being open to new things and being open. Like one of the, one of my favorite ideas that um, I always forget about, it's not like many things in the Tao, it's not my default is to give three people the right to be wrong today. That's that idea, right? And I think you're the first person who told me that. And I thought, let me try that. Now, here's the thing. I forget that all the time, but then I remember it sometimes. And to me, that's spirituality, like letting other people make mistakes. So that's what it looks like to me today. That's compassion there. Yeah. That is compassionate living. We think living in love is some kind of overt, floating Jesus thing. <laughs> but it's not. It's what you're saying. Giving people the right to be wrong is living in compassion. But see, that's what people think. And they don't realize that all of life is spiritual. And it's really bringing us to the point that we can live in that emptiness that we were talking about. That we can be open to what others need. We can be open to how to approach those things. I don't know why I was thinking the other day about, I remember when there'd be a hurricane coming along that you would always, that the church would always pray for it to go another way or something. And I'm like, wouldn't the Christian thing be if the hurricane's got to hit for it to hit us instead of someone else? But that was never. <laughs> yeah, it's good to go. <laughs> you know, but yes. it teaches us some real spirituality. It really teaches us good spirituality that's useful. Yeah. Yeah. So your idea of a higher power has collectively come to what I can do in this moment. Is that what you're saying? It's brought it down to a moment by moment. Yeah, I guess so. I didn't really really think about it that way, but it's not out there is what I'll say, which is something I think I thought for. It's here right now. And Yeah. yeah. I know you talk about that now, living in the now, and I think is that Ram Dass be here now, you know, and learning about all these things. Again, that's for me, enlarging my spiritual life, being open to these things. And sometimes I'll read something or I'll hear something. And I'm like, nah, not for me. And that's okay, too. And, uh, but there's so much um, that if I like back to what we were talking about before, it's like, God provides the answers, I think, for us. And it's just, are we willing to listen? And when I do something that doesn't work, like I don't give three people right to be wrong today, I feel that. And sobriety, we talk about the emotional hangover, being dry or whatever, these terminologies. But it's essentially when you're not living in harmony with your fellow man, when you're yelling at your neighbor, ah, you might be feel like you're justified, but it does not feel good. You know what I mean? As a, and they don't, they're not getting anything out of it either. The world's not getting anything out of my anger or my justice. Yeah, my my justified anger never satisfies me. I am never satisfied by justified anger. Yeah, I don't think I am either. I can't recall like one. I can't tell you one story where yeah, and I told them blah blah blah, and then. And I aren't happy that I did that, or isn't isn't now the world's a better place because of that? <laughs> no, but it's not intuitive for me, and that's it's know? not coming from love. It's not coming from love. It's coming from fear. Yeah, yeah fear. Like I think it's it, like it's, from love, it's not going to work. 
It's not going to bring us peace and joy that we're looking for. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Driven by a hundred forms of fear, we step on the toes of our fellow man and they retaliate seemingly without provocation. provocation. When I first heard that, I was like, boom. I remember that. I was like, okay, but there's something there. I don't know what that is. There's something there that I needed to hear. You know, we're two totally different people. We come from total. Yeah, we come from totally different backgrounds across the board. The way we were raised was different. The way we approached education was different. We're both from the South, but your life has been totally different from mine. But yet we were put together for a reason because there are things that we discuss spiritually that we connect on that you wouldn't think that someone in academic, even politically, we're on the other ends of the spectrum. I mean, on everything yeah. that would be physical out here, we're on different ends of the spectrum. But yet, a sponsorship relationship works. And it's because it's an experience based. When you talk about uh, anger and getting, getting into a fight with loved ones, my response is, why do you fight? What do you mean? I said, just stop. It takes two of you to stop fighting because I have had to experience that. I have experienced where there was anger and relationships and things just seemed out of control. And when I stopped fighting, it diminished. And then when I, instead of saying, how can I get back at them? It was more of how can I be helpful? And we've talked about all those little tools that we learn in recovery and how the Tao just simplifies those tools, like the one of that I mention often, can we let the mud settle till the right answer appears by itself? Um, yeah. Working, keeping everything stirred up, because mm-hmm. I think my working going to bring the answer that I want. Them, but yeah. And I noticed, like you were talking about, noticing my thoughts, noticing all those things. Yeah, God being now is really good, Derek. That's that really has changed for me. And those differences have I still I'm starting to see me being a part of rather than a part of something different and being a part of that body rather than thinking that life was out to get me. And it's interesting too. I want to remember just one more thing. In meetings, we talk about how you know, if I come to a, into an AA meeting physically or, or come to one online, I'll say pray for the squares <laughs> and yeah. pray for the people. I open my heart. I send them love. I ask how I can be of service to them today. The three treasures, basically. I started doing that before the pandemic. I didn't even know what I was doing. And uh, it made me have a better meeting. When I sit in the meeting, fixing to hear all all the same things again from the same. I could quote what they're going to say better than they could. I know what he's going to say. I know what she's going to say. Instead of getting caught up in all that, I just started praying for them. And I remember one day we were talking that you had some kind of faculty meeting that never went well. And I said, pray for the squares. You said, what do you mean? I said, just pray for the squares. I know it's not an AA meeting, but just go around the room. Open your heart to the person. Ask how you can send them love. How can you be of help to them today? And I remember you texted me after the meeting, said it was the best faculty meeting you'd ever had. (laughs) And I was like, yeah, these things work no matter what environment we're talking. But I always forget it. I always forget about it. (laughs) So I have to remember. Yeah. Because then we have another faculty meeting a month later. And yeah, it's. It's such a different thing to sit there think wishing well towards each individual at a time than to sit there thinking that boy they think they know everything or oh this guy's agenda and what the heck with this person like that's a long meeting but when I am sending out these good vibes so to speak and, and thinking of these people in positive ways amazingly it goes well <laughs> No, I don't know. It's I guess it's science. <laughs> I told you just try it, Derek. Try it and see if it works. Yeah. If it doesn't work, don't do it again. It's no big deal. Just try it. Yeah. You don't even have to think it works. You don't even have to put belief with it. That's the whole point of this. 
You just take Yeah, me. you're right about that. That's interesting. I remember my first sponsor once told me he was really Catholic. Like, he loved the whole practice of Catholicism. Like, he wasn't Catholic when he came into sobriety, but he, he needed yeah. something that was very structured. And so he right. told me, get on your knees and pray every night for a week. And I was like, what the heck? Because I had not been able to sleep because of the work thing going on. And I'm like, he's like, I don't care if you don't mean it or what you say. Just say the serenity prayer or whatever. Just do it for a week. And it seemed extreme to me. because I, But I did it, and it made things better. So sometimes we can act our way into right thinking. It's amazing. I quote it to throw another AA-ism out there. Yeah. We act our way into right thinking. We don't think our yeah. we don't believe our way into right acting. We yeah, amazingly, it does not work. It's the opposite. If you don't believe it, try it. If you go out your day, if you start your day, just try it in this way. I open my heart to be helpful today. Show me ways that I can be helpful. Just say to the air. You don't have to believe there's a there's God up there doing it for you. Just say it. Just open yourself up and see what happens. See if your life is not better. See if today is not, maybe not, excuse me, maybe not better for the whole day, but for a moment that you can live in that for a moment. Maybe next day you can live in it for a couple of moments. And then you find with time that it becomes a way of life. So when you pull up to Walmart, you don't rush up to the front and get the best parking space. You park a ways back so you can give other people a nice parking place trash on the ground you pick it up on the way in because you're yeah. looking for to be kind yeah that, no. and that reminds me of another thing yeah yeah Let's not work on it yeah yeah sorry <laughs> thank you Derek that's good anything else to add sir before we uh, what would you tell a newcomer I know you have some problems with your earpiece what what would you tell a newcomer before we close out if they were if they stumbled on this podcast and they're thinking about recovery and they don't know about all the god stuff they hear what is it what would you like if you were starting over what would you have liked to tell yourself i guess would be a good way to to say that what would have what is there anything i i I don't know that i would tell myself anything any differently to be honest because i think I I'm, I hear I heard what I needed to hear when I heard it. Okay, <laughs> but I do know what you're saying. You just reminded me of something someone told me at my second or third meeting, and I'll never forget him. And I'll never talk to him again. Probably this guy named Peter, who just knew I was new, and he had told me I could call him at Thanksgiving if I needed to because I was I had to go visit family that drinks a lot, and that was nice. I was like, wow, these people are nice. But then I saw him again at my second or third meeting, and he just told me in the kitchen of this Methodist basement, you never have to drink again if you don't want to. I just need you to know that. And it, like, was revolutionary. Like, he looked at me in the eye and said that, and I, like, that's what I would tell a newcomer. You don't have to drink again if you don't want to. You have that choice. And I, I don't, it sounds simple, but it's true. It's like, we have a choice when we're ready to make that choice. And the another thing that early on struck me like that was in reading in the stories in the big book, the one that says we hit bottom when we stop digging. What was that story? Uh, it was in, in the stories in the back. We hit bottom when we stopped digging. Oh, we hit bottom like, digging. Okay. Yeah. yeah. The lady on the business trip. Yeah. And okay. she was, yeah. I didn't hear you clearly what you said. Okay, we hit bottom when we stopped digging. Okay. Yeah. Okay, good. Derek, anything? Man, I appreciate your time. We've been at it for much longer than I thought we would. That was quick. Yeah. Any, uh, anything else to add, sir? No, thank you, buddy. I appreciate it. I look forward to I, I know you got it. Yeah, helping the fourth dimensioners. The fourth dimensioner meeting was the one that's still going, 9 p.m. Eastern. Every night that ends in Y, right? That's every night of the year, 9 p.m. Eastern. And uh, Derek chaired for a long time 
one night a week, and, and he helps some with service still, I think, with that meeting from time to time. But uh, that's a great meeting if you want to see an online meeting. And a lot of newcomers at that meeting. You can come on, keep your video off, and just listen if you want. You don't have to participate at all. Find that link at zoomaameetings.com. That goes directly there. You have to be logged into your free Zoom account for authentication. Go to buddyc.org under resources. You'll see a lot of that stuff there. You have a great week. Hello, this is Buddy C. I wanted to make you aware of several recovery-related resources that I've posted in the episode description. These resources include a list of recovery podcasts, a free sober meditation app, daily recovery email, shared Google recovery calendars, Hope you put some of these resources to use and have a great week. Thank you for listening to the Tao of Our Understanding Recovery Podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, please share it with your friends in recovery.